Welcome to the Talent Rebelcast. My name is Elin Bailey, and along with me is my co-host, Tracy Parsons. Tracy and I have been getting together for what seems like forever now to, well, chit-chat about talent. One day after a few too many cocktails, we thought, what the heck, let's press record. And that's how we got here. We hope you'll listen in and find this a little bit fun, interesting, and just the teeniest bit inspiring. So without further ado, let's get this party started. Hey, hey, Rebels. We are here with another conversation with smart people. Uh, we are, uh, Lynn and I are here, Tracy Parsons, Lynn Bailey, talent, talent Rebel Lines, everybody in the house. And today we are joined by one of my personal favorites and who reminded me one time that we actually had a podcast and that's kind of how we met. But I'm going to, I would love for everybody to meet and applaud and, and laud my dear friend, Derek Murphy Johnson of Kinder Care. Doing Hi, well, hello, hello. Yeah, exactly. And doing uh, really yeomans and the God's work there. I mean, that is in a challenging industry. It just is um, having been there and done that. And I think it's a challenging industry and doing some like really cool, innovative stuff. I think I'm hoping that we'll get a chance to chat about a little bit. I know. So Derek, oh. talk to us a little bit about your experience and your background and what aligns you with rebels and what aligns you with kinder care. And let's, let's talk about you, my man. I, this year I turned 41 and that means I have been in talent acquisition for a total of 20 years now, which sounds weird to say like 20 years in TA, because when I first fell in TA, I was like, Oh no, I don't like HR. They tell me what to do and what I can't say. And they don't like that. I smoke and I have the fondness for, Swear words. So HR doesn't like me. I don't fit in. I, I'd rather sit with the sales and marketing team. And 20 years later, here I am, still in TA, kicking, still alive. But today I am at Kindercare Education and I manage our recruitment marketing and talent attraction team. And we are national. So we're hiring teachers all across the country. And COVID has been tough. It's It's been crazy for everyone. But to be in a, a teacher in a center today it takes a lot of courage uh, and a lot of dedication. And teachers, I hope through COVID, will get the credibility and the respect that they deserve in our society. Parents everywhere are bigger fans, teachers. I think all parents understood the importance of teachers, but I think being a stay-at-home parent and trying to do the work from home and be a teacher, I think that gives a little bit more appreciation for what teachers go through every day. Agreed. Agreed. And you do like, I want to point out the the joy of like when you started your career that you're like, okay, I can't stay in HR. I'm going to go sit with the sales and marketing team. And now look at you driving yeah. marketing for HR, right? So the world presented an opportunity to you where your, where your affinity lies, right? I mean, it feels like that you, yeah. you've kind of merged into this, into this. Yeah. We, I think collectively we don't fit into HR. What with the, you know, you know, I think that's interesting. So what I think is interesting is all three of us at some level, and, and again, I'm still fighting the fact that I'm in HR. I'm not exactly sure how that happened. And <laughs> apparently that's what I've been doing for like 25 years now. I'm like, what the, how'd that mm-hmm. happen? But, you know, all of us um, had this natural affinity in the sales and marketing space, which is interesting 
Does is that I wonder if, you know, we've had this conversation before, Tracy, but I wonder if that's part of what drives the I don't give a shit, let's just figure out something new to do mentality. Do you is it do you think sales and marketing is in general more like that? And that's why we drive there or we have alignment to it? Or do you just think that that's just because we all like marketing stuff? For me, I'm not big into rules. I coming up into the professional world, I viewed HR as the purveyor of rules. So I don't enjoy rules, although I'm a really good rule follower, which is interesting, but I like to just make some shit up and go with it, right? Then, you know, I often get smashed by compliance or whatever, but I, and I hear this a lot from leaders in talent acquisition. I mean, the people, like I look at Derek and he is absolutely a leader in our space. I look at his, his manager, Travis, I look at people that are really successful in TA and I talk to them about their next step and not a single one of them wants to go be the CHRO. Why not? Like, what's up with that? And it goes back to the rules, I think, but Derek, what's your point of view on that? Like, you're going to elevate to a point where they're going to want you to be head of people. Oh, no, I agree. I'm a rule breaker. Like by being a hellion teenager in the Midwest, like to like who I am in a professional setting. But, you know, I think it's really an interesting comment because I remember when I was working in ambulance and fire under several different bargaining units and it was somebody did this, then this was the corrective action that I did. And it was so regulated and when I was in a recruiting world, I couldn't help the business effectively because I'm like, well, you got to fill out form 1B to tell me why you need this. Nobody gives a shit about filling out a form to hire. They feel the pain point today. And so that's one thing that I love about KinderCare is like we approach every situation. We have the saying of uh, one for one, one size fits one, because one size does not fit all. You guys talked about going to a shoe and not a shoe store and like having a multitude of shoes and and still wanting that one shoe. And and so like here, our organization, we say one size fits one because every individual has a different circumstance and situation that they're up against. And it doesn't mean that what works for you, Tracy, is going to work for Lynn or work for me because it doesn't. We're human beings. And I think old HR, it was you set your personality aside, you comply with the business and the business lets you know what they're going to do. No, that's not how it works. So, so translate this for me and how that manifests itself in, in the work you're doing um, in supporting kind of day-to-day center care staff and, and teaching staff. So as we talked about kind of previous to this, I a long ago and far away in another world, I actually was in the early childhood space and, and um, ran centers and, and was the center director. My biggest challenge always was um, maintaining the appropriate level of staff and was always challenged with this kind of double challenge. One, having the right number of people, so just a volume issue, and then having people who were of a high enough quality and kind of balancing between that plus pay and all those other things that are challenging. And I think about what you just said, this idea of one for one, you know, these centers are so regulated in terms of what the requirements are, who they have to hire. These are all good things because we want people who are working with our children to meet all these core requirements. But that adds this complexity. I mean, it's a regulated industry that you're saying, let's de-standardize the way in which we do things to allow for flexibility. How do you do that? We give our, our leaders the autonomy to make the decisions that's going to support the business. Like for our center directors, that's their business. And we empower them to say, this is your business, make the right decisions. And we give them the flexibility 
saying like, this is the amount of families you need to support. What's that staff makeup look like? And our HR business partners and our finance business partners, they work with them to find out what is the true need of your families and in this area. Because again, what works in Oklahoma does not work in Portland, Oregon. And I think that's where a lot of organizations fail. And so uh, we have wonderful peers that they have recruiting teams and our recruiting teams, they don't come across and say, okay, well, we're ready here to hire teachers. That's not what it is. We could hire teachers all day, but it's like, what is the problem that we're trying to solve? And then our recruiters, they're going out and they're finding teachers and saying, you know, this center, they have maybe a couple of kids that have behavioral issues, or they have a couple of kids that have X, Y, and Z that, so that way teachers can make an informed decision. And we don't just go out trying to say like, okay, you said you need six teachers. I'm going to go find you six teachers right. and hire six teachers. That doesn't make sense. Like, and, and I think that's the beauty of, is our organization. We pride ourselves in being agile and reacting to the changes of the business. And I think like a lot of organizations last year, two years ago, whatever happened during COVID, I can't remember timeframes, <laughs> uh, but with like the whole civil unrest and just how Kindercare pivoted so easily. And we created a DEI function and we're rolling out employee resource groups. We're rolling out trainings for our employees and we're doing these things, not because we should, but because as an organization, we feel like it's our duty and uh -huh. we want to make sure that we're supporting everybody holistically and not just to meet the business needs. Because at the end of the day, you're a human being, like you're not just a drone. You're not just a worker bee. You're a human being that has problems, challenges, concerns about everything that's going on in the world. And so to be an organization and just focus on your employees while they're at work is a little bit short-sighted, I feel. And it's interesting because it's not only, you know, you are not nationwide, it is, and you're in a variety of communities, right? So I love that you guys pivoted so quickly with a DEIB focus because it's not just making sure that you have a diverse workforce, but you, you need a diverse workforce because you have diverse constituents, like your families are as diverse as, as anything. And, and you want that to be reflected in the communities that you serve. So I was, I was plotting you guys from the, from the sidelines being like, yes, this is how you react. This is how you go, gosh, we have a problem here. Oh, wait, we could solve that. Right. So we could not solve it, but we could do something about it not just put out a press release and not just say, we're going to do better, but actually do better. Yeah. That's one thing that I love about care. Yeah. care. It's, they put their money where their mouth is. As somebody, so in your scope, as somebody who's kind of helping set the stage from a recruitment marketing perspective, how does that translate for you into collateral, into campaigns, into, I'm thinking about people out there who are listening to this and saying, okay, I'm all in and I get where you're going with this. And I believe all of these things. And I think my company believes all these things, but I go and try and put that out there into the world. And it comes across looking like, the copy and paste messaging that everybody's using out there. How do you distinguish yourself as unique with that message? And how do you do it? What's the impact and, and the process for you? Well, that's a really great question. Tracy, would you like to farm this <laughs> one or? <laughs> well, no, no, think... but we, have, we share the same philosophy. Yeah. I think the one thing that we do and uh, we do well is we take different stories from the field and we share those out. Right. And yeah. it's the different articles. And our marketing team also comes up with an amazing consumer collateral. 
they talk about where the parents are and they put out resources about where the parents are. And then Tracy and I will get together and we'll brainstorm of like, okay, right now we're talking about we're giving out free childcare so that way you can go make sure that you have a vaccine and do your citizen duty to get vaccinated so we can stop this mess that we're in and other things like that. So we'll share those stories of like why we're doing this. We'll share stories about like our teachers that have been in the center for 20, 30, 40 years and what they love about working for the organization. One thing from a recruitment marketing perspective I would love to do is to tell the story about how our CEO on every single day calls people on their 15, 20, and 30, 40-year anniversaries. Every single day, it's the first thing he does to start his day, every single day. He calls these employees on their milestones. And it's not like, hey, this is Tom. Happy anniversary. Bye. (laughs) Tom, our CEO, is so personable and so caring about this company and this industry and the kids in our center and our families. Like, he'll call and he'll be like, hey, it's Tom. And people in the center won't believe him at first. And then he'll start <laughs> laughing and, and say, like, I understand it's your anniversary. And they're like, holy crap, the CEO is calling me in Biloxi, Mississippi or, or wherever it is to talk to me directly. And that's something he just doesn't want to share from a, a recruitment marketing perspective. I get it. I totally get it. But he also wants us to hire people. True. I, I feel so, like this is something, Tracy, you've pushed on before. I'm going to be honest with you. I just learned this information. I'm not sure Derek has shared this with me to date. You may have in passing when I was doing all of the customer intake, but it's, it's funny because you pressed me. Okay. That makes sense. (laughs) That, that does check out. Uh, But it was really funny because I was talking to another customer this week. They were telling me all these stories of things and, and you do this too, Derek. You tell me all these amazing stories of the things that you did to support your employees, to support your families, to support all these things during this insane time when everybody it's just traumatized. And it's almost hard to turn that into a marketing effect, right? It's, it, it feels wrong and exploitive yeah. and all those things. At the same time, if I'm doing research on a company, one of the things that I'm going to care most about after pay and benefits, so as long as we're really clear about that, <laughs> <laughs> as long as we're really clear about it, is how you take care of your people. And if we're not telling people how we take care of our people, then that story is not getting out and we have no opportunity to do that. And then they're going to go to Glassdoor and read the disgruntled people, right? We don't, and and just to be really, really fair, again, you both know that I interview job seekers all the time. I do all the research on candidates in the marketplace and they don't read your Glassdoor reviews. Like, I'm sorry, they just don't. And I know we spend a lot of time gnashing our teeth about Glassdoor reviews. They literally don't read them. If they read them, they're reading the threes. So listeners out there, just pay attention to your threes. But what can we learn from those? What can we learn from the stories? The things that the people want to know is what you're doing. And I've heard countless times, but again, it feels kind of slimy. It does. And that's exactly why I was going there with the questions. Like, how do you, because it's such cool stuff. How do you translate that into something that feels like it resonates with people as authentic? It's that not sell. Like even with our health and safety, we're not selling it. It's not like a look here, we're investing in health and safety because we're an amazing company. No, we're investing in health and safety to keep you healthy and safe and to protect your family and our families. And I think that's one area where I may uh, differ is I internally, I'm challenging my, my leaders and I'm saying, we can't put this out here like this because it feels used car salesman. I know you think this is an amazing opportunity, but like, why? 
and I really challenge them and fight them a little bit because everybody is going through something and people are scared. And especially like for our teachers in the centers, they are scared because as we know, kids are germ factories. They just are. It's a scientifically documented fact. They're germ factories. And so people are concerned. And so it's addressing those concerns and letting them know that, like, we hear your concerns. We know you're concerned to walk in the store every single day. And that's why we're taking these steps to protect your health. That's why we've ensured that our transmission rates have been lower than the U.S. from a comparison perspective where we're in the markets that we're in. It's telling the truth, but without overselling it, because people are investing in their futures. They're not buying a car. They're not buying a no. top. You don't need that when you're looking for work. You know, it's interesting. The way you kind of frame that, I think, is a, is a really interesting takeaway for people. The difference between telling somebody something and putting the flourish and the spin on it and the kind of marketing hurrah on it versus telling people the why around why things are happening and, and making it much more almost like a Q&A, like these are, we hear you say these are your concerns and here's how we approach it. Feels much more real. It does. You're right. It, it feels yeah. like a, it's, it is that interesting dilemma we always face from a marketing perspective of how do you make something that is mass, right? Because marketing, my, my nature is often frequently mass, feel like a unique and personalized conversation. And a lot of times, like when I'm doing some marketing and I'm testing some things lately of, do we just scratch the HTML emails? Do we just need to get rid of those? Because when I think about whenever I get one, I my inkling is to delete it, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not to me. It was not written by somebody that has an email account. It was written by a machine or it was designed or it was, it was designed for me. I don't want to read things that were designed for me. I want to read things that are for me. And so we've, I've been doing some testing around this lately and, and constructing more recruiting messages like you would get a cold sales outreach, right? It looks like it's from the person and you have bolded areas and there's meat and it's linked, but it's got good chunked up so you can scan it. It's scannable. But those are some of the things like I think that we've got to dial this back a little bit and figure out how to make mass feel one size fits one, for lack of a better phrase, like that Derek came up with, right? So but when I think about that, Derek, and, and I guess I've worked at software companies for too long or too many times, I immediately, so when I hear one size fits one, I love that so much because that is how I like to operate. But what I always hear from people is, well, how does that scale? So how do you deal with the scale question that you inevitably get when your leadership is like one size fits one? And you're like, well, how am I going to communicate with 30,000 candidates? I think that's where the balance is of being able to have both, right? You have both your overarching messages and your communication, but then your more personalized regional messages to people as well. So from a national perspective, you can go out on your social media and talk out on a broader level. But when you're doing more email marketing, that's when we should focus on more nuance. And that's where um, Rebecca on my team sometimes hates me because when I'm when we're doing some campaigns, and I'm like, okay, we're gonna break this down into individual cities in this area, and she's like, uh, that's like a lot of segmentation, and I'm like, yes, but we have to because then that's where you can look at the analytics and dig into the analytics by the city and the state, and then that's where you sound more knowledgeable to your leadership team instead of just like Ohio's a bust, people don't like us. Well, that may not be true. Right. Cincinnati may love you, but Columbus may be like, ooh, stay away. Like, don't even message me again. And right. so that's why I think it's really important to testing and segmentation of 
yes, there has to be an overarching message about who we are and how we're going to take care of your employees. But on a macro or I'm sorry, on a micro level, you can then differentiate and say like, hey, Columbus, we love you too. Cincinnati, we're not too sure about them either. But that's where you can (laughs) differentiate and personalize. You know what? It's interesting. The way you just described that, it sounds like fundamentally what's required for you to be able to do that at scale is data and the ability to have the technology and and the capabilities to um, cut that data in a variety of different ways and to ask questions of it to be able to respond to you. Do you find that your teams are, how long have you been using data that way? And do you find that your teams are comfortable with it? Or how did you get them comfortable with looking at data at that level? Absolutely. I am very fortunate that I have an incredible partner in HRIS. I won't give out their name because I don't want somebody to recruit them away from me. Uh, (laughs) But she is an incredible individual that she's not just HRIS, she understands recruiting. Uh, And she sits in the talent acquisition function. And so I would say probably five years ago, she tried to take programmatic advertising on her own. And so she was looking at the data and understanding how many applications that we needed for a quality applicant versus an unqualified applicant. And so she tried to to build programmatic on her own. And then she like gave it up. And that's when we went to an agency to do programmatic. But I would say that she was really the person that started the conversation. And then I have an incredible boss who just latched onto the data. And then previous life, I was also an HRIS analyst at one time. So I love data too. And so I would say that collectively, our talent acquisition team has been using data actively for the past four years. Uh, we created a, a Tableau uh, platform where it had uh, it was a quadrant where it had high turnover, high applications, low turnover, low applications. And depending on where the locations were in that quadrant, depended on what type of support that we gave them. Uh, for our organization, we don't have a recruiting team for every single location, pre-COVID, we were close to 2,200 locations. From a a scalability, we couldn't support that um, for every recruiting need. So our operators also recruit on their own. And so as we had requests for recruiting support, we take a look at our our Tableau data information and we'd say, okay, is this center is in a high turnover, high volume of applications? Derek is just going to kick out an email campaign, maybe do some text messages, depending, it could be a targeted social campaign. Or it could be like, holy crap, they're in a high turnover, low application area. We're going to deploy some recruiters. We're going to deploy some recruitment marketing support, and we're going to do some spend. So our team, we started looking at the data from that perspective. Our recruiting team, they typically were would support areas that were deemed like, quote unquote, crisis that like the center director couldn't handle the recruiting on their own. And so the recruiters started adopting like, well, I've been in Indiana before, and so I know that I need to submit 50 candidates. And from the 50 candidates, 37 of those are going to proceed to the next round. Of those, 12 are going to drop out or whatever that math is. And so our recruiters use data all the time. They look at their Indeed data. They look at their acceptance rates. And then they look at their past successes and retention rates. The teacher recruiting team, field leadership recruiting team, and the corporate recruiting teams have all used data for at least four to five years. It's amazing because. You know, we hear people talk a lot about um, kind of the importance of data and the importance of having systems and accurate data to work with. Um, But what I love is your kind of real clear conversation there for everybody of what that data looks like and how your teams are actually tangibly using it. Because I think everybody thinks they want this information, but they don't know which information to go after or even what decisions to make with it. 
once they get yeah. there. That's really the um, uh, pinnacle piece for people. I love data. I, I live in, in data every day. Like I, I also own our programmatic campaigns and our strategy. And like right now I'm talking to a provider and I'm like, let's launch a never advertise campaign because we have a few hundred locations that we're spending money on that like, why? And so like, I'm like, this is dumb. Let's do a hashtag no spend and we'll put those in there and we'll start testing and managing it and taking a look at it. So like when I do programmatic, like our programmatic, I don't know if it's more or less complicated than others, but I have several different campaigns going that we test on a bi-monthly basis and we'll pull some out. We'll put more spending in. And I have a ton of locations I don't do anything for because the data for years have showed me it doesn't matter how much money you spend at recruiting, doesn't really move the needle that much. And so we need to look at different solutions. And so I think talent leaders today, they need to be more data focused. Otherwise, they're going to be lost as the rest of the organization understand agile and data is how you're going to solve the recruiting challenges today. Right. So what I heard you say, Derek, is that you can scale one size fits one with data. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you can personalize with data. I mean, yeah, yeah you oh, can, right? I mean, thank you, I mean, ones and zeros. Right. It isn't, um, I think that's, that's a challenge for us. So do you have, do you have multiple systems that you have people um, taking actions in and then you're combining it in and using one database and exporting through Tableau or how do you connect all your data? Indeed data, it's Kaleo data, it's Oracle past uh, termination data. Um, so our HRIS analyst, she exports from four or five different places, plus government data on like unemployment rates and COVID information, all of that. So she pulls a myriad of information into this Tableau dashboard that we use and look at. But what's interesting there, and here's why I'm bringing up this point. So what's interesting here is that there is this um, conversation going on out there in the um, in the data and the technology space about whether or not you need a data aggregator in the middle to normalize all that data before you go and put it into a, into like a, a Tableau or reporting function, or whether you can really um, given the way in which you're leveraging and utilizing the data, which it sounds like what you guys are doing, is just be able to pull in that 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 and have somebody who understands how to organize it inside the system. Like you don't this idea of these new um, there's a whole bunch of new systems that are coming up out there that are kind of these data aggregators sitting in the middle that it doesn't sound like you're using. You have a pretty vast array of different places you're pulling data from and a large number of unique sites, right? So this isn't like exactly um, data. Yeah. So, so for all of you listening out there, sorry, I got my data geek story flying there. Got interested in where we're headed with that. So, Derek, I have a question for you as we kind of start to, to move into this, this piece. One of the reasons we're doing these conversations with smart people is for some really cool dialogue, which we've been having right now, but also to get your perspective as somebody who has 20 years in the industry. Look at that. As you see people coming in and out of the industry and, and starting to work in this space, what is your kind of big takeaway for people? The thing that you think is going to allow them to be successful um, in this space? What what are the, are it the messages we've talked about so far, which is kind of yeah. work one for one and, and really understanding how to use data? Is there anything else that you think they need to know or that you tell people when you're mentoring them? I think authenticity and really being brave. I don't know how many times internally that I deliver horrible news. I'm sorry, I'm not going to support your recruitment campaign because it's not going to work. It's not a recruitment marketing issue. It's a reputation issue. And so I think it's 
I think it's that uh, that balance of authenticity of how you're messaging and what you're sharing in your message about the organization and and the employment opportunity. But I think on the other side, like you have to be brave enough to say no. I, I saw I don't know what platform it was on, but there was an employment marketing or post, and it was like one of the most powerful things that a recruitment marketer can do is say no. I was just like, I want to print that and frame it because it's 100% right. Because they think that recruitment marketing is the silver bullet through all of this challenges that employees are facing right now. And I just want to call bullshit. Like, that is not a thing. You're not going to put glitter on a ad copy and make it better. Like, it's still going to be the same company that has the high walls with the folders in the break room. Like, that's still a thing. And so you can't just dump glitter on it and think people are going to show up. Recruitment marketing isn't a silver bullet. <laughs> There's no magic, it. man. We reframe it. Recruitment marketing is not a glitter bomb. Move away. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. It's so true. You know, it's interesting in all of the areas of HR I've ever worked in. This is, a, and I've worked in many, even though I'm not an HR person. I think this is a constant issue, right? Whether it be, um, we'll solve it through training. We'll solve it through recruitment marketing. We'll solve it through a internal culture memo, whatever everybody thing is. At the end of the day, all these areas require you to be able to tell people, no, this isn't a lipstick on a pig circumstance. You need to take a step back and we have a bigger problem here. And I'm sorry, I have no magic for you today. I have no magic for you today. I'm not a glitter bombing this. I have nothing. I think I mentioned this on the last pod, but like telling a customer last week, you're out of people in your location. Like, like you're out. Like there aren't enough people in your location to support your hiring needs. You're, you're physically, there aren't any more people left in your location and you're in a position where the commute tolerance is low. So you're going to need to have a hard conversation with your leadership about how you're going to be able to meet their goals when they've decided to put your location in a place that cannot be supported by the talent that live in the market. I'm glad you got cheap rent. <laughs> congratulations. First congratulations. of all, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations on that. But now we've got some additional problems that are coming our way. Right. Have you considered a busing solution for this yes. location? Right. Like, it's like, we're out of magic, y'all. I don't, I have no, I am fresh out of magic. Behold not, my field of former magic. It is, it is barren. As a recruitment marketer and in the, in, in the talent space, don't we just have a clone factory? Can't we just create people? We, oh, totally. And a time manufacturing machine, apparently. So we have, to have, we have the time manufacturing machine and the cloning factory. But we've just been hiding them this whole time because, I mean, we want to look busy. And we can print our own money. Don't forget that. Budgets aren't a thing. We can print our own money. Yes. Oh, yes. Free. Everything's free because everybody wants to work here. That's right. And who needs, by the way, who needs money? Just get creative. Aren't you a creative? Can't you think out of the box? Out of the box takes no money. I don't know what your problem is. Oh, my goodness. We've all heard it in a million different ways. Uh Uh-huh. This, oh, yeah. has uh-huh. been such a, this has been such a fun conversation, Derek. I'm so glad that you joined us. And by the way, I'm glad, Tracy, you tell the story all the time on the podcast. But um, as a reminder, everybody, <laughs> Derek is the one who reminded Tracy that she had a podcast. And so as her uh-huh. podcast partner, I appreciate that. Thank you for letting well, her know. Yeah. I was confused at first because she was like, podcast. And I was like, oh, shit, is she not the lady that's on the <laughs> podcast? Oh, my God. <laughs> and I was like, rumble. And she's like, oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, I have a podcast. I do that. Right, yeah. right. She's I like, do. Oh. There's a, th- oh, right. Yeah. He's like, I love your podcast. I'm like, what podcast? 
Which one? What are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. I mean, what's your question? But if is it about the podcast? Because I don't know what you're talking about. Um, (laughs) And that is how Derek and I met. We met at a conference. Like, so it's conference season, folks. If you are brave, you want to brave it, go meet amazing people. (laughs) We're gonna Um, Derek. Thank you so much for coming today and and sharing your story. Like the work that you do at Kindercare is nothing short of Herculean, and and it shows with the results that you get. It shows with the energy and passion that you put in. And I just think that you are an amazing human being and a stellar example of what the best of the best of recruitment marketing looks like. So thank you for being amazing all the time and joining us today and sharing some stories. Well, thank you for having me. And I'm just going to like record what you just said and just play it on like my bad days when I get those like emails of like, hey, money is not an issue. How's your magic wand? Is it full? I'll just push push what you said and I'll just hit play. But (laughs) Thank you both for having me. And Alain, like we live in the same city and we've never met. And I also like my husband, if I bring home another coffee mug, I think my husband's going to like freak out. So like we've got some stuff in common. So Okay, we're in there. Yeah, exactly. We're in there. We do. I was just thinking that I was just I was looking at it and thinking, oh, your backyard looks like my backyard because we're both in Portland. We do. It drinks on me. We got to make that happen. Um, absolutely. Done. We should have a retreat in Bend. The family and I might be coming out oh. to Bend for a long weekend. So let's let's think about really? that. Bend? But we digress because that's what we do in the pot. Yeah, we digress because I'm like, eh, such a Bend thing. But we can, well, we'll figure it out. It's okay. We'll get there. All right. So for those of you who are not already following the amazing Derek, he can be reached at Twitter at 503 Recruiter, laying down that PDX uh, area code. That's right, right? Mm-hmm. 503. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, I thought so. I'm in 503 and I didn't get that. I'm sorry. <laughs> and he can also be found on LinkedIn at Derek Murphy Johnson. And he's always wearing stellarly cool glasses. So you can find him there. You can find me on Twitter at T Parsons. You can find Alin at Alin Bailey. Please, please, please have an amazing weekend, everybody. Just keep swimming and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Awesome. Thank you for listening in. We hope you enjoyed yourself. The Talent Rebel cast is part of the Talent Rebel Alliance. It's a movement connecting strong, independent, bossy, and, well, sometimes feisty women in the talent industry. Together, we're on a mission to grow our ideas, our presence, our value, and our impact. Smart women connecting with smart women to support each other. It's as simple as that. We believe big things happen from simple ideas. If you want to join the Talent Rebel Alliance, come on over and check out our website at talentrebelalliance.com. We hope to hear from you soon. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.